Hey friends, it's me, Katie Ann, and your host to the Full Confidence Head Podcast, where we go on a journey together tackling the fears of life from family relationships to finance, from careers to community. And this month, we have been celebrating Women's History Month through a fundraiser for the largest provider of women's scholarships in the nation, the Miss America organization. That is still happening. So jump on over to my Instagram, which is at Ann underscore Powell, and go to the link in my bio where you'll see there's a link that says Harp Ringtone Fundraiser. So what I've done is for every $5 you donate, I've recorded a ringtone of me playing the harp, um, something a little bit of a thank you and a little unique gift. And 100% of these donations go to the girls in scholarships and the donations are tax deductible. And also no donation is too small. So even a dollar counts. So jump on over there for Women's History Month as we're wrapping up this month. And you guys, you are really going to enjoy today's topic and guest. So I have here with me, Emily Joy Thompson. Emily is a master's student of English, so you can imagine she is quite good with her words and teaching. (laughs) Quite well. I don't know if that was supposed to be well. Now I'm all flustered (laughs) with the English expertise here, but that's okay. She's been working, or she did work for four years as a writing tutor, where she worked on a publication called 140% helping students with reading disabilities. Emily has a passion for Shakespeare. And actually my favorite thing is she has these little Shakespeare miniature books. They're like smaller than the size of the palm of your hand. They're really cool. (laughs) And her home is always full of good literature and laughter. And I have to add here, Emily is a pro at the We Just Dance. So if you need a challenge, please call her up. Emily Joy, we are thrilled to have you on the podcast. You have so many good insights and I am just so excited to glean from you. So I talked a little bit that you are a master's student right now um, and that you're studying English. And I am so inspired by that, by two things that I want to start a conversation off here is you're a woman in a master's program. And that can be terrifying and kind of difficult for women in higher education. And the second thing is Throughout your life, you have found the path that not only you enjoy, but you've turned that into a career. And I just want to start our conversation here. Can you kind of just take that and run with it? Sure. Um, just building off of being a, a female in a master's program, um, English is a very interesting field. And um, prior to being an English graduate student, I was doing an undergraduate degree in English education, uh, which is also very interesting because we see a lot of promotion for women working in STEM fields, right? We want more women in STEM, which is phenomenal and absolutely true. Um, You don't see as much of a push to get women into the humanities, in part because a lot of programs within the humanities at least in like english goes is already i don't want to say fairly dominated by women but there are a lot of female students in english classes uh family ec classes those types so it's a really interesting degree and a really interesting field to be a part of and one that i absolutely love um but yeah it it is interesting looking at the representation of how many women go into this degree as undergraduates and then how many end up working in the field of academics right in academia um 
can we sit on something you said for a second? I actually had this conversation with a friend, so I'm so glad you brought this up with, we need women in STEM, but sometimes women in other areas, you feel like you, for example, let me just tell you the situation. I was talking to a friend. She started off as a pharmaceutical student, got pretty far through her career and in her schooling and then realized that's not where she was happy. She was feeling this extra pressure to be a woman in STEM, which is needed. We need to recognize that's needed. However, that's not what she felt passionate about. So she did this 180 and went into communications. And I think that's so profound is, yeah, we also, we do need women in STEM. However, also being brave enough to pursue what you love, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I I totally agree. It's not that we don't need women in STEM and you should just, you know, go into the humanities or that we should leave the humanities as a female dominant field. It's that people should feel comfortable pursuing what they want and having resources available to them in those settings. And I think that that's where we really push for women in STEM and business is traditionally we don't have resources for them to thrive as much in those schools compared to English, right? Or even teaching where we're fairly used to seeing female teachers, especially at a secondary or educate or elementary level. Um, Yeah. So it's a really interesting uh, position to be in. And I recently actually was researching something for a research project I'm working on for a class and came across a term called feminine realism. Uh, which for this particular article was used in art as a way to portray domestic qualities of having power and how that was something in America and in the United States, female artists and poets were much more comfortable portraying women in domestic and typically female roles compared to those uh, British female poets and artists. So it's this really interesting idea of like, We need to make sure women feel empowered no matter what setting they're in, whether they choose to go into, you know, family and consumer science or they decide to go into business or a STEM related field or education or even if they choose, you know, to not pursue higher education or if they choose to to stay at home or or excuse me, pursue other domestic related fields. Um, It's really important. I think that women have support systems. I love that point that you said that for a woman to be empowered, it's feeling comfortable wherever she is. It's not necessarily a woman empowered is a woman who is the CEO, which she could be. I'm not saying not, but that empowerment can exist as a woman at home or that empowerment could be a teacher in a school. But the point is wherever the woman is to have a support system and materials. So what have you found that has been the most helpful for you to feel empowered as you've chosen this path of higher education with um, English to feel empowered? What, what groups have you loved? What have you gravitated towards or resources? It actually draws back a little bit to your original question about finding your passions, right? And pursuing what you want. I think a lot of it has to do with finding what I've been really interested in as far as my field goes and finding other instructors and mentors and students who enjoy and are interested in those same things and building your own communities from that. So I, as a graduate 
student and a graduate instructor work in a nice little cubicle. And a lot of my cubicle neighbors, I guess you could say, are other female graduate instructors and students. And it is absolutely wonderful that we're all right there and we can come in after we teach a class and say, oh my goodness, this crazy thing happened or I don't understand you know, how to teach this lesson in a more effective way. What are your thoughts? Um, even yesterday, I was talking to one of my friends in her cubicle about developing a thesis um, and the different routes that our university provides us with. And so having like an immediate support system right there is fantastic. It does take a little bit of work. I'm learning um, and, it, and it, it doesn't just come handed to you. You really have to try and go out and find people to build that community that you want to rely on on those hard days where you're like, I don't know why I'm in this field or what I'm doing or I don't feel confident in my abilities to do it. Um, so those are kind of some things that I've done is try to find things that I'm interested in that make me happy, as well as finding people who support me in those things. I love this idea of this cubicle and I'm going to kind of continue that discussion and say we can all have this metaphorical cubicle. We can all build ourselves yeah. up cubicle. And I love what you said that it actually takes work. It takes work to build friendships. It takes work to build this community of cubicles, right? <laughs> and I'm not saying that necessarily we have to grab desks and dividers and sit next to each other. But I think now that we have online is so much more accessible. We can build these communities of cubicles all together, either on digital spaces or it could be your neighbor. And I think that's actually a really powerful thing. And then recognizing that it takes work and then reaching out to those people. I wish I had earlier on in my life been the one to start my community of cubicles, metaphorically, you know. I wish I had been, rather than the one to expect it was there, the one to say, hey, here's a desk next to me. Why don't you sit down? Why don't we chat? And so off of that, that just makes me ponder and realize, wow, I want to be better at community building and building people around me um, and letting people into my space, working on them in my space, working that relationship and then understanding it's a, it's a two-way street. I both have to get put work into it. But also there's going to be days that that's going to probably be my primary point of empowerment. So that was so insightful to me. This, I, this whole image of metaphorical cubicles. <laughs> <in my head. laughs> Absolutely. And I think it's also important to recognize that while this does take work, especially if you are a student, um, actually, I believe in all professional settings, there should be some sense of mentorship as well. So even though that is placed upon us to go out and find people to invite to these metaphorical cubicles, that should be be incorporated within a university or a school or a professional culture, which is something that I think we are still working on. Um, at least I know in the culture where I am currently living and where I'm going to school, we're working on creating mentorship programs, which hasn't always been as available to all students as it can be now. As you said, that we have online platforms. Our forms of communication are much more open generally worldwide with the ability for anyone and, and everyone to go to school. Um, at this point, it's, it's really important that we have those mentorship programs in place. 
My favorite thing each week is just to listen to the stories of these incredible people on the podcast. They give me confidence in all areas of my life. The Full Confidence Ahead sponsor, Utah Money Moms, has boosted my financial confidence. I remember the first time I heard about them on YouTube, I just found this video about tracking your expenses they had done, and it was so simple and confidence building that I went to their website and started downloading as much material as I could. Make sure you head over to utahmoneymoms.com after this episode to sign up for their free webinars on all financial topics from the basics of budgeting to estate planning. That is so powerful coming from you as you're a higher education, your master's student right now, especially you were an English education undergrad. So you have spent a lot of your life learning how to teach and learning. And I believe every profession is is learning and teaching, essentially, mm-hmm. even if it's in business, if it's in STEM, whatever it is, you do a task and you teach a task at some point in time, most likely in your career. And to have that, and so to have your perspective, which is so well-rounded and so educated that we need these mentors, I really hope someone on the podcast today is listening and is in a point of leadership that they can incorporate a mentor system. And if you're not, you will be the leaders of tomorrow. So whoever is listening, I hope you heard her advice on having these mentor programs, but I want you to dig into that more. What would that look like to you? And now we understand there's not like one mentorship program that would be ideal, but what are some elements that you would suggest to people who, who are looking to set up a mentorship program? Absolutely. Um, and I do want to go back a little bit and apologize. I realize I said anyone and anyone anyone and everyone can go to school. And I recognize that there are financial limits. And so that is why mentoring is even more important in more than just educational settings, right? Is because we need those in work settings and professional places. As far as what mentorship and mentoring programs can look like, I agree. There are probably a million ways that you could do successful mentoring in in your own life. I'm actually working in a class right now on a research project that deals with undergraduate research mentoring. And some principles that we've noticed are really effective in that particular setting is when there's open communication between the mentor and the mentee, and when there is a shared interest there. That's usually what sparks these mentorships, is a shared interest in a particular research field. whether that be composition studies or sports, that's usually what sparks this relationship between the mentor and the mentee wanting to develop or learn something together. And so I think there needs to be a little bit of the leveling of a field in a mentorship program where we recognize the mentor does not have the higher ground. The mentor is not in this power dynamic looking down on their mentoree, but they're in a relationship where they're learning together and they're both bringing skills to the table that work together to make a more successful mentoring relationship. And so I think in a professional setting, that can be really effective because if you have a boss or a supervisor who comes down to have a conversation with someone they're quote unquote over, that can be a very empowering relationship within that company culture, right? Where we're, there is not a power dynamic here. There's no hierarchy. We work together to learn how to make our work more effective. So I think that's just one principle that you could look at is power dynamics within relationships. And that can be in academic settings, 
business settings, professional settings, um, to really level that playing field, as well as uniting around points of interest. That is such a dynamic comment that you made. And I think probably at that, the root of this power dynamic is humility, because Mm -hmm. a lot of times when you have a higher position, so to say, you have worked hard to get there, right? And to take a step back and understand that the person that you are mentoring you can actually learn from. And I know I've had a couple internships that have been incredible. And I think it's because that mentor did have that view. They didn't disregard me as just a student. They actually valued me and said, I can learn from you too. And subsequently, those experiences were fabulous, where I felt like I could actually contribute to the company. And we created this dynamic and I was learning so much. So that was interesting. The other thing I thought was fascinating that you said this open communication, but shared interest. And this is actually a perfect segue kind of into where I want to discuss next with you is shared interest is you have to have something in common. And that's one thing I really value about you because I feel like you have this robust set of interests. It's not like (laughs) you don't just have one thing that's like, this is my one thing, but you have so many interests. For example, I know that you love mystery books. I know that you also are, you're fascinating with superheroes and comic books because it's not just that you like it, but you actually glean information from them and can dig down into the historical comments. For example, she shared with me the other day that there's a comic book code. Is that what it was? Yeah, the comics code. Yeah, like I had no idea. So it's not just this interest, but she has this depth. But the other thing is, she loves to roller skate. And yeah. <laughs> anyways, you just have this breadth of interest that I think makes you not only a fascinating person, but easily relatable to other people. But you have also taken your passions and interests and kind of brought them into your career. So how did you really find what you loved? And how did you, how did you pursue that? Because your pathway is fascinating to me. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, when you have a very wide variety of interests and they happen to be very specific and very random, I think a lot of us lean towards teaching because we are allowed to continue developing and researching those interests. Um, I think that I could have taken other paths. This is just kind of where I've ended up. Um, For me, a lot of it started... I mean, probably back in elementary, middle, and high school, where I started off, as most English majors do, really loving books, really read a lot of books, very interested in that. I think my family dynamics also helped carve and shape a couple of my interests as well. I have an uncle who is very much into comic books and superheroes. And so being around someone who was already interested in that and having interesting conversations, I wanted to add to that. And so that kind of got me interested in, in that aspect. Um, I think I I ended up ultimately choosing this uh, around high school. I had taken a couple of English classes. I was very grateful. I, took AP literature and AP language. And it came that time where every high school senior is asked, what are you doing next? You know, where, what's the plan? And I knew I wanted to go to college and get a degree, but I wasn't sure in what. 
And I just started thinking about, well, what do I do well? And I knew that I did well in my English classes. And so I figured, okay, well, I guess I'll be an English major then. Um, and I specifically rem remember my AP literature teacher. She was phenomenal. Speaking of mentoring, she was a phenomenal mentor to me uh, in a lot of different ways. But I remember one class period as we were preparing for the AP test, she mentioned, don't go into English unless you like writing essays. And it was just an offhanded, funny joke. But that really stuck with me because I liked writing essays, which sounds crazy, but I really liked writing essays that I cared about. And so when I got to my senior year, started thinking about English, I was like, well, I, I know I like writing essays, so I guess that's a good start. Um, I did a couple of college tours, particularly looking at English programs, and I was at one university and they asked me, oh, you're interested in English, that's great, but what emphasis would you like? And I didn't know that you could emphasize in something, and so I, I was like, oh, what, what are my options, I guess? And they said, well, we have creative writing, we have literature, and we have teaching. And trying to be the practical human that I am, I was like, oh, teaching, that leads directly into a career, that's probably the best option for me. And since then, I've realized that there's probably way more that went into that decision than I realized in that moment. While majoring and emphasizing in English teaching does, I mean, more so lead you on a career path than, say, literature, creative writing, I think what you mentioned earlier kind of comes into play, where I had a, a lot of jobs up to that point that had required me to quote unquote teach. And I hadn't realized that it was teaching, but I had just enjoyed it. Um, and I had enjoyed being around uh, different groups of, of youth. And I had been a counselor for a lot of different summer camps and really enjoyed that job. And so that correlates very well with teaching. And then being able to talk about books with students just sounded fantastic. So I got into that program, got into that field, and then fast forward a couple of years, had another fantastic mentor who I'll, to make a long story short, showed me <laughs> that going further into academics did allow you to continue developing personal passion projects and research, which for someone like me who just really likes to learn things, sounded amazing. And so I've always been very interested in just learning things and Googling things. Um, I like to know how things work, why things work the way they do um, within literature. And so it kind of led me on this path where grad school sounded like a fun idea, which sounds crazy, like grad school sounded fun. Uh, but it allowed me the opportunity to try teaching in a higher education setting, as well as taking more narrowed classes. Rather than taking a generic literature analysis class, I now had the opportunity to study immensely specific areas of literature or very specific ideas or authors or locations, um, which I don't know is immensely valued maybe in the world at large, like having incredibly niche or narrow 
knowledge of things, but it brings me personally a lot of joy. And so while I do have bad days, absolutely, and definitely question why I'm here and if I'm going into the right field, it's the opportunity to study those things that I love, such as pop culture and comic books and detective fiction that really keeps me going and interested in this field of study. I think this is so interesting, you describing your pathway of choosing a profession and going into grad school, because for our podcast listeners, I have known Emily Joy my whole entire life. And having that perspective, I would have guessed, and I would have said to you that, oh, she knew exactly what she wanted ever <laughs> since she had. I remember when she had that AP lit, or was it lit or lang? It was lit right yeah AP, AP literature I would have said right from that moment she knew she was doing English she knew exactly what she was doing but as you're explaining it your progression has been a pathway of passions and I think allowing ourselves to not judge our progression through choosing a career choosing a pathway but progressing along as we go allowing mentors to influence you finding what you enjoy and incorporating that because I would have said oh she knew exactly what she wanted from day one and there are some people who who work like that but I think probably for the majority of us maybe we have a little bit of a vision and we're going towards it I know for me it's it's a small it's a big vision that's not always so clear but passion by passion and mentor by mentor, I'm still getting there. So I think just breaking that down and giving ourselves a moment of peace, like if I don't necessarily know the end goal right now, I can keep continuing and following a passion as long as I'm moving forward. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. And the other thing, oh, please. I, I think it's good to note with finding things you're passionate about and finding ways to work in those fields. I think that it's good to recognize even when you do that, you are still going to fail. You're still going to have experiences where you don't do well. Um, And one of my favorite examples to share with my writing students, um, I currently teaching an English 1010 or an English 101 course. And they look at me as their instructor and they're like, oh, you've always liked writing. You're always been, you've always been good at it. And it's, kind of fun now to tell them I actually failed my AP literature exam I did not (laughs) pass my AP exam I I didn't do so well in these things that I love sometimes laugh that makes me totally laugh (laughs) And, and so it's fantastic to recognize like no I've had terrible essays I've turned in um but because you love it you keep trying and you try to find ways that you you could do better at it so I think that what you said is so true it's important to find passions and develop them but it's okay if if you're not always the best that's really cool to me because sometimes when we have our passion you expect to be perfect at it for yeah. me um, some people know that I'm passionate about playing the harp I've been a harp player for so long but there are definitely days I fell where I can't even play a twinkle today and I don't know why but allowing yourself in Passion doesn't mean perfection. Passion means continually facing that task, no matter how hard or how joyful it really is, right? Mm -hmm. I love that. So let's dig into one of your passion projects. You mentioned you had some passion (laughs) projects that you got to do with grad school. So pick one of them and just kind of chat with us because you had talked earlier too about sometimes how the world doesn't necessarily value these niche things. But on this podcast, our community here, we do value those things. Because <laughs> we think everyone brings something interesting to the table, no matter if it's in our realm of what we think about every day or not. So I want you to talk a little bit, choose one of your passion projects and let's kind of dive into it. It'll be interesting. Absolutely. I think 
my favorite as of right now um, that I have done um, and not necessarily engaged in was for my folklore folklore course. Excuse me. Um, I had only taken an intro to folklore class in my undergraduate. So I knew a little bit about the field of folklore, but not much. So I took a supernatural folklore class, which was fantastic. And, and I loved it. I, being someone who loves mysteries and vampires and Dracula and Frankenstein, it was so fun for me to learn about monsters and where these ideas came from. Um, and at the end of the class, we were asked to devise a research project that we could present at a conference if we wanted to. And I struggled trying to find a topic and then after a class period, I don't know why, but I I ended up picking the topic of unicorns, which is my favorite thing to tell people because when I tell them, oh, yeah, I did a research project on unicorns, their first response usually is, really? <laughs> and, and their second is, well, you know that unicorns aren't real, right? Um, which is hilarious because that's not the point. That's not the point of folklore, right? Is is determining if something is real or not? Is we're looking at where did these ideas come from and what can they say about our society? And so I'm like, yeah, I know they're you know maybe not real, but it, and it, I think especially the image of the unicorn nowadays is strongly associated with. Um, the color pink, femininity, uh, glitter and sparkles and rainbows and five-year-old girls specifically, right, as a demographic. And so to be able to do a research project on that was fascinating. And so I spent quite a bit of time looking at the history of unicorn folklore and myths and um, references within biblical settings. And I kind of traced that uh, the medieval to the medieval unicorn specifically, which there are some beautiful tapestries of depictions of medieval unicorns and the myths and ideas that surrounded the creature. And I looked at those and I tried to use that same lens of the medieval unicorn and apply it to the modern unicorn. So I looked at the 80s specifically, which was a really big boom within the fantasy realm as far as literature and movies and books and everything goes you had a lot of really famous uh fantasy movies come out at the time that were incredibly popular such as dark crystal um or even labyrinth the one i looked at specifically was i believe it was released in 1984 the animated film the last unicorn which shows a very medieval style unicorn in that setting so I looked at that and how it kind of transferred into the 90s where you get a lot of Lisa Frank art, which is kind of where unicorns begin to be associated with more bright colors. Um, they're more playful. They're not as like reclusive per se. Um, and then I kind of looked at that in terms of our modern day unicorn in the, in the 2020s um, where you see a lot of people creating unicorn cakes and uh, it's all over social media and you see toys and My Little Pony and those types of things. Um, and that was a really fascinating research project for me to look at to see, even though we kind of joke and laugh about unicorns, there's something about this beautiful, majestic creature that we still hang on to. And, and our beliefs and our ideas that are tied are not that far off from what was being said about the medieval unicorn and the medieval and the unicorn of the ancient world. And so it's really fascinating. And to me, it, it speaks that we as humans are always looking for 
things that are unobtainable. We love the idea that there's something out there we just maybe can't grasp. And so I think the unicorn can play a lot in, into that. And it's it was a fantastic project. I loved it. You know, that's kind of fun. This idea of something we can't grasp. Maybe the unicorn is the, the persona of of our dreams, of something that you want and you want to be around and you want to have and you you think is majestic and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, and there's yet, a... Oh. Yeah. Excuse me. I said there's a reason that a lot of tech startup companies, you know, are coined with the term, you know, unicorn companies, ones that do particularly well. It's because there's something magical about dreams and unobtainability um, that we're fascinated with. That's so interesting. That that's really interesting. I actually love how we're bringing the unicorn back into here because I would hope that we could change our dreams into something more obtainable because we've kind of put the unicorn into a pop culture where now it's accessible, not necessarily yeah. obtainable, but it's accessible. If I want to go out and buy a unicorn shirt, I can, it's there. Mm -hmm. Right. And I hope that that would be with our dreams too, that what is seemingly unattainable, we make now accessible in our lives step-by-steps. Step. That's so fast. We, we appreciate your unique interest. And I hope, <laughs> I hope our listeners are going to go with at least one unicorn fact and when they when they go to the grocery store and they're with their friend, they see a unicorn merchandise, they can lean over and be like, oh, yeah, did you know in the 80s, unicorns <laughs> were different? <laughs> they were actually portrayed as pink. But I hope yeah. they're going to say that. But as we're wrapping up our conversation, I want you to answer the question that we always ask on our podcast here. And that is, if you could tell your younger self one thing to feel more confident or to give yourself a confidence boost, what would that be? I actually heard something yesterday that I wish that I would have been able to go back and tell, you know, my high school self who failed my AP lit exam this. Um, and especially being in the field of academics and being interested in school and teaching. Um, I recently had a professor say, you don't need to sound smart. Your ideas make you smart. And that really hit home for me of like, I don't need to try and make myself look bigger and better and smarter than I really am. Just being here, having interests and wanting to pursue those and having thoughts about them, you know, those, those ideas are what make us smart. And I think that by, you know, if I had had that when I was younger, not only would I have felt more confident in myself and my ability to follow the things I'm passionate about, but I think I would have looked at others differently as well and realized that intelligence is not necessarily uh, defined or confined in the way that I, I thought it was. That is beautiful. And I hope we all remember that. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. I'm walking away with unicorn information that I'm so excited to share. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I think a lot of times the feeling of fear comes from a lack of control in our lives. And our sponsor, PowerPay, is offering a money master course that's normally $40 for free to all Full Confidence Ahead podcast listeners so you can take control of your finances this year. The course is video-based and gives you real-life money smarts. So to claim your course, go to extensioncourses.usu.edu slash Pal, which is K-A-T-I-E-A-N-N-P-O-W-E-L-L, -L, and it'll automatically add the money master course course to your cart and you just click check out and you'll get it for free. You can also access your course by going to extensioncourses.usu.edu and finding the money master course under the finance category, then using the code 
Katie Ann, K-A-T-I-E-A-N-N, with no spaces, to claim your $40 discount and free course at checkout. So let's master our money together. Thanks for listening in on the Full Confidence Ahead podcast. Weekly on Tuesdays, we'll continue our journey of confidence together through new interviews and insights. Make sure to hit the subscribe button to stay up to date on the latest conversations and confidence boosts. And by the way, you got this because you deserve to live life full confidence ahead. See you next week.